0: The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com. So good, so kind to us. We're going to see this morning in Revelation chapter 21 how he brings about a new heaven and a new earth. Those broken things that Gina referred to find their culmination in his presence at the end of days and the new heaven and new earth, and we can rejoice in that together. I want to take a moment, just as, the, just as the spiritual temperature, so to speak, is that of his nearness and us drawing near to him. And I want to take a moment just to pray about the revivals and different things that God is doing in our nation, how his spirit is moving and working, and, and and there's differences of opinions, and people will sit and be, you know, you know, armchair spectators of it and judge it one way or the other. And, but I just want us to pray that for all the good that the God that God is doing, how the Spirit is moving, how He's impacting lives, all those things that build the kingdom and bring him into lives, that the generation being impacted, that it would just continue to flow, continue to move, and that we would put our spectator stuff aside and our opinions aside, and we would just say, come, Lord Jesus, come, have your way. So would you just pray with me? Father, you said in your, in your word, in the scriptures, that in the last days you would pour out your spirit. And we're getting a taste of that again. Our nation has gone through seasons, God, and you have been faithful. As Gina said, at times we have been faithless, but you have been faithful. And you pour your spirit out. And you call people into repentance and into new life and into your, your presence. Your nearness is our good. All that you are doing, we say amen. We say your kingdom come, your will be done. Open the eyes of the blind. Open the hearts that have been hardened break it up, break up that fallow ground and make it tender again. May the good word, may the seed, the gospel seed, take root and grow deep. May your people be marked by holiness, for you are holy. We want you, Lord, nothing else, just you to be in your presence, to behold your beauty. So, Father, we say cleanse us. As you are cleansing and moving and working, we ask that your spirit continue to wash over our nation and that you would come and cleanse us. We praise you that we don't have to get on a plane and fly somewhere for a revival. We just have to humble ourselves for you are here. Refresh us. Mark us as a holy people. Forgive us of our sins to you and to one another. May there be nothing between, nothing between us, Lord. Would you continue to work and move, bring a great transformation, a great awakening and a great revival. Lord, we, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. May your name be exalted, be reverenced, that people would be humbled under it, that our names would be nothing. There is only one name worthy of praise, and it is yours. Your name be hallowed. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, give us this day our daily bread. Those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, may they be satisfied. Give us the needs that we have in our physical bodies, but more than that, meet us in that deep spiritual longing. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, Lord, of our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation. Spirit of God, help us see that in your boundaries, in your ways, you have put down good parameters that are good, where life and life abundant is, is offered. May we not be led into temptation, but be delivered. Jesus, you came to set captives free, and you are doing that this day in this nation. Do it here this morning. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil and from the evil one who prowls around like a lion looking to devour, looking to devour any who would be off guard. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory here now and not yet still to come, but yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us look together in Revelation chapter 21 and see what God has ordained. This is an exciting passage. This is something that uh, I hope we, we kind of get right in our minds. There's a lot of uh, <clears throat> thoughts about heaven, about Peter meeting you at the gate, the pearly gates, and the streets of gold, and all the different. And here we're going to see really what the Bible says about this moment, about this place called heaven. So to bring us up to speed, if you've just joined us in Revelation really quickly, from the cross of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, from that moment to today, we're in the church age and we're going all the way in Revelation to chapter three, where is the end of the church age, where the church is raptured and taken up. And they are taken up into heaven. At the end of that period starts the seven year tribulation. So there's seven years of tribulation that will come upon the earth. God will be getting people's attention, calling them back to repentance and pouring out judgments on the earth. And the Jews, their hearts will be softened and they will see Christ as Messiah and they will be coming in. There will be a great gathering of his chosen people during that year of tribu- those seven years of tribulation. At the end of those seven years, Christ will return. And he will lay low the the armies of the Antichrist, of Satan, at the Battle of Armageddon, at the Battle of Gog and Magog. He will lay them low, and he will come and rule and reign on the earth for a millennium. There will be a thousand-year reign of Jesus on this earth with his saints with him, clothed in glory, the church in its radiant beauty, his bride. On the earth as he promised with him for a thousand years. And many will go into the tribulation uh, or into the millennial reign, but they will be saints. The wicked will be judged, and those who come through the tribulation in the flesh will have generations to follow them. But they're still in the fallen world. They're still in this place. But King Jesus is ruling and reigning. At the end of that reign... Satan will be loosed one more time. He will deceive a great multitude and they will surround the the great city of Jerusalem, but it will come to nothing. It will be in a moment. Fire from heaven will come and Christ will devour all of his enemies. And then in the moment, heaven and earth will flee from his presence and the judgment will begin. We looked at that last week. At the end of that judgment, He creates a new heaven and a new earth for his people to dwell with him for eternity. And that's what we see today. That's what we will look at. Let's start by just looking at uh, verse 3 here. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Father, as we go through this chapter today, stir our soul with excitement and joy. But as we are in this moment, may we not be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, that this would stir us and excite us, but it would move us into the good works you have for us. So may we put it all in perspective. We live in the here and now, in this moment, and we long for the moment we're reading about today. So we give this to you, Spirit, move and work and teach us as we go through this passage in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, we read this. John says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So there's a new creation, and there's no sea. So those of you who love the beach, I'm sorry. You can take it up with Jesus in the new heaven and new earth. you would be like, yeah, I really like hanging out at the beach, and I missed that. I don't think you're going to complain, by the way. I think you're going to be there and be like, this is better than the beach. But there is a new heaven and a new earth. Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He talks about the old creation being passing away, that that it must happen. He must put away a corrupted earth. He makes a new one. This one's corrupted. Corrupted. This one has been broken. It has fallen. And he will do away with it and give us a new one. Isaiah 63, 17 through 19. Isaiah writes about a, about a new heaven and a new earth. Do you have Isaiah? Oh, sorry. I got the one second. Isaiah 63, 17 through 19. Don't you love technology? Here we go. Thank you. Hey, thank you, Sierra. She has a thankless job, guys. She works so hard. All of them do. And when that happens, you're like, man, come on, man, like get on. But when everything's good, you don't notice it. But thank you. Because I don't make it easy. Oh, Lord, <laughs> why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our heart <clears throat> so that, when, that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage, your holy people, held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Is that the whole passage? Oh, I must have the wrong note. There's Isaiah's talking in Isaiah. 65, not 63, <laughs> that there's 700, see, she has it really hard. <sighs> there's 700 years before Christ comes, and he speaks, he discloses part of his plan, a new creation that will go into eternity. And so he's, he's speaking about a new heaven and a new earth. It's 65, 17 through 19. You don't have to go there this year, but you can get it for next service Be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Yeah, that one's much better. 700 years before Christ even comes on the scene, Isaiah is speaking about what God has ordained. 2 Peter chapter 3, we've seen this before, verses 10 through 13. He says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He says, don't long for this stuff. It's going to be burned away and something better is coming. And we long for that. Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21 says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves break in, do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart this morning? Because that's telling you where your treasure is. What are you longing for? What are your plans? When you get asked that question, don't we go short-term? Well, in the next five years, here's my five-year plan. Here's my 10-year plan. Here's what I'm going to do once I get to retirement. Oh, I'm in retirement. Here's what I'm going to do now. And we kind of do those plans. But what are you longing for? Are you longing for the things of this world or the the things and activities that are still yet to do? Do you have a bucket list and you're saying, I just need to start checking those things off? Peter says, don't long for any of that. It's going to burn up. It's going to go away. Like we longed for This moment with a new heaven and a new earth that God has for us, we look forward to that. That's where our hope is. That's where our joy is. These things are good in themselves. like We can enjoy them, but this isn't where our focus is. This isn't our treasure. This isn't where our heart should be. It should be on him, in his presence, in his glory, in his dwelling place. What are you living for? What are you living for? If your answer is anything other than a name, and that name better be Jesus, then your priorities are not right. There can be great joy and blessing. Let me say it again. There can be great joy and blessing in this world. God has great grace for us, common grace. There's, even in a fallen world, he gives us good gifts and good things. There can be great blessing, and there can be lots of joy in years ahead of us, but our final home is in the new heavens and the new earth with Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 say this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your, thing, set your mind on the things above, on Christ above who is seated in glory. Set your heart's affection on him, on the things above. For when he appears, we will appear with him in glory. We are looking forward to that day. So Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, we read last week, it just says, I saw a great white throne and heaven and earth fled from his presence. It will flee. It will pass away. But here in 21, he says he brings a new heaven and a new earth. Earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Verses 2 and 3 go on to say this. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself Will be with them as their God. Amen. Don't you just long to be in the presence of your Jesus? It's realized there. Like, we're with them, with Him for eternity. His people, He is our God. So we see this city come down and God dwelling with His people. It takes us back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. In the very beginning, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. And the name of the first is pishton And it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold and the gold of the land is good. Bedlam and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is on the It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris and flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. You see, this beautiful creation God did at the very beginning. He makes this beautiful garden, and he gives it all that it needs, and he, he nourishes it, and he puts man in the middle of it, and he says, I have this beautiful dwelling place for you. We see in chapter 3, verse 8, this passage, this verse says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He walked in that garden. He dwelled with them. He made a perfect place and he gave it all that it needed and he put them there and he walked with them. He dwelled with them and it was broken by sin and rebellion. And we go through all of history. We go through all of Revelation. and We get to new heaven and new earth and he says, that garden as it was there in the beginning, I have something better. I'm replacing it with a heavenly city and it will be as it was supposed to be. He restores it all and he walks with us again. It's a beautiful picture. God, from beginning to end, says, I've bookmarked it, I, you know, i booked end it. What was here, and what was destroyed and broken, I've recreated it here and made it good again. And he redeems a people throughout. His grace and his mercy and his kindness has been lavished on us. We've been invited to a new heaven and a new earth to be with him. Verse four, we see some of these promises. This we hear often these promises talked about when people talk about heaven. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Why? Because it's in the lake of fire, it is gone. There's no more death, there's no more uh, suffering. He says, neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore or the former things have passed away, all of those things. Even in the millennial reign, there was was some suffering and death. People were living and dying, and they have to, at the end, receive Christ or reject Christ. We see this great rebellion, and there's the judgment and everything. But in this moment, everything is made right and perfect again. There's no more death. There's no more suffering. There's no more tears. I mean, thinking about all of those, I don't know where we, I was asked this question, Where are the saints at the great white throne judgment? Like, I know that's not their judgment, but where are they standing? Heaven and earth flees. Where are those people standing? As I said, in his radiance, in his glory. I don't know. I don't know if we're spectating. I don't know where we are. It doesn't tell me. But if we are there in that moment, knowing that this is the judgment of the wicked and the unrighteous, how many tears are shed by the righteous? Watching them. Perish. Be cast out into outer darkness. And Jesus wipes away every tear. Binds up all those hurt. There's no more death. There's no more suffering. There's no more heartache. No more renting, rending of the heart because of the things of the former world. It is all gone. Full attributes of God's love put on display in Christ and in his people. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying. All of the former things in a fallen world and, and while greatly curbed, again, are still part of that millennial reign, they're not here. They're not here. Verses five through eight, we, we see this. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done, finished. We are with him for eternity in glory. It is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have This heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So he says, there will be nothing unclean, unholy, unrighteous in this place, only Christ and his people will be there. That is their dwelling place. He is their God. So who has done all of this? Christ has done all of this. He says, it is finished. Jesus states that he makes all things new. And this is his promise to those who have faith. God brings a new home to his people. John 14, verses 2 and 3. Bring this to your remembrance. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. He's prepared this place for you. He's prepared this place. This city, this dwelling place of God and man. This he has gone to prepare for you who have loved him. Even though you not, have not seen him, you have loved him and you have faith in him and he has prepared this place for you. God brings an eternal refreshing to our soul. Whoever thirsts is satisfied, an eternal refreshing, Refreshing. I think of John 4, verses 10 through 14. Jesus answered her, speaking to the woman at the well If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did the sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life a refreshing, a renewing. Here he's speaking about being made new and being born again, having eternal life well up in us. And he says, and in the new heavens and the new earth, those who long to be satisfied in my presence, I will quench that thirst. They will be satisfied. This promise of grace is extended to all who seek the Lord. It is for the righteous and not the wicked, as we pointed out in verse eight. The ungodly will not enter it. In fact, the ungodly will not see it. The throne judgment happens before he recreates the new heaven and new earth. All the unrighteous, all the ungodly, all of the things that are in rebellion against God will be dealt with and judged and moved away, and then he recreates. This place is pure and holy. The ungodly, if they want to see it, this is the best glimpse they get. He tells them, this is, the, this is the city I'm preparing. This is the new heaven and new earth I'm making. This is what the inheritance looks like. But if you reject the salvation, if you reject the year of the Lord's favor, his kindness, this is the only glimpse you get. Only the righteous will go into this Into this. State into the new heavens, the new earth. Verses 9 and 10, we see this. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me. So one of the seven angels from the bull judgments comes out. And remember, these guys were dressed very, very beautifully and they had gold sashes and and they were adorned uh, in a very specific way. So one of them comes out to John And he says, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So he takes him to this high mountain and he shows him the city. And he says, I'm going to show you the bride. This is the dwelling place of the bride. This is where we will be in this, this city, this beautiful place. And it's adorned, this city is adorned like a bride on her wedding day. It is made beautiful, and it comes down out of heaven. So the angel takes him, and it's the place where God and his people dwell together. 11 through 14, let's look at what the city looks like here. It has the glory of the Lord, and it's like, how does the city have the glory of God? Like, how does that work? You're going to see later on that it says that he dwells there. So his glory is there. It has the glory of God because God himself is there. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and the gates, 12 angels going to be at that place. The second best guess is just look in the book of Numbers and you'll see how Israel was ordered around the the promised land and and he grouped them in threes, in the north and the south, the east and the west. So maybe the way he grouped them there in numbers is how their names appear on the gates. It says, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. Is Paul gonna be one of those names? I don't know. I don't think so, because he's not one of the 12. He's actually 13. Well, actually, Matthias is 13. Paul would be 14. And Barnabas is considered an apostle in Scripture, so he could be 15. And and so is uh, James, uh, the brother of Jesus. He's called an apostle in Scripture, so he could be 16. But there's only the twelve. So I think it's the original 12 that walked with Jesus and the one that replaced Judas. I think those are the ones on the foundation. You can ask me about the other apostles later. Uh, You're like, wait, you're just adding apostles, Rob. I I can show you those passages. But that's the foundation of the city, built up on the gospel of Christ that they preached. The city is built on the apostles, the name of the apostles. So we see this beautiful city coming down in appearance with a wall around it. Quick question, why is there a wall around God's city? Who's attacking this place? Who's he keeping out? Nobody. It marks boundaries. It marks the boundaries. It just has this beautiful wall that goes around it. And we'll see what that looks like here in a moment. And it just marks the boundaries of the city. There's nothing to keep out. There's nothing unholy. And the gates, you will see in a minute that they will always be open. But each gate is attended by an angel. And I think that's pretty interesting because we see angels attending in Scripture with various jobs. And just a few to name a few. We see them tend to Jesus in the wilderness. That was their job. They come and they tend to him Um, We see angels tending to the church in Revelation 2 and 3. There is an angel who is to tend to the bridge. That's his job. That's pretty cool. They tend to the Lord in the throne room. There's angels that are in his presence tending to him. And here they tend to God's people uh, and they tend to the city. So the city has 12 foundations, the names of the apostles. Verses 15 through 21, we read this about the city. And the one who spoke with me, now that's the angel, right? So this isn't Christ speaking, this is the angel still. The one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold, a gold, a rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls, and the city lies four square. So its length, the same as its width. So it makes a square. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. And the length and width and height are equal. So now you even have the height equal. So it could be a cube or it could be a pyramid. Both of those meet the proper requirements for this type of measurement. Length, width, and height are all the same. So here we, we get this. He, he measures its wall. It's 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophos, ah, somebody say that, chrysophos. Frost, phrase, Christ. I can't. I cannot get that word out. The eleventh, <laughs> Jacinth. This is not getting any better. The twelfth, amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Y'all, those are big pearls. It's just a pearl as a gate that an angel stands to guard. And he's not even guarding it. He's just attending to the city and to the gate. And on that pearl is the name of one of the tribes. So each of the gates made a single pearl. And the street of the city that you can see inside through that pearl is pure gold, transparent as glass. Streets of gold, pearly gates. Angel at the gate, Peter at the gate. You see how some of this starts to work its way into popular you know, culture, they see this and they come up with the different thoughts. No, there won't be Peter meeting you at the gate. It'll be the Lord himself at that place. It'll be angels tending to the gates, welcoming the righteous in to the Lord's presence. So we see this beautiful wall. So maybe the measurements are a little bit interesting. So the one who spoke, this angel says, let's measure the place He says, it's 12,000 stadia. You got that? That's about 1,400 miles square. If that was set in the United States, it would look like this. It'd take up this much room. That's a big city. That's the city of God. Length by what? 1,400 by 1,400 by 1,400 miles. Is we go to uh, next the It says there's a wall around, it. and he says that it has this this measurement comes to about 200 foot. A 200 foot wall on a city that's 1,400 miles high is like a speed bump. <laughs> I mean, it's it's nothing compared to the city. Again, it's not that he needs a wall. It marks the boundaries. This is the entryway into the city of God. The walls are beautiful. They're adorned with jewels. They resemble the breastplate of the high priest. The walls that look like the breastplate of the high priest, the gates with the names of Israel, it just shows that, again, there's God showing his plan, how salvation, Jesus says, salvation comes through the Jews. God chose these people to work Uh, in humanity, to work in this way among us, and he gives an honor to them. There is a remembrance of what he has done to bring salvation to all nations through this small nation of Hebrews. And the streets are of gold. So we see this picture of heaven. Verses 22 to 26 say this. And I saw no temple in the city For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. That's an interesting phrase. And the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. The temple is gone. Just the Lord Jesus. The temple was needed. Remember, the temple was needed for reconciliation. Sacrifice was given there. The perfect blood of the lamb put on the mercy seat of God for man. There's no more need for that. It's just him dwelling there with his people. So there's no need for the temple. The temple is gone and it is replaced with his holy presence. All that is done or all that was needed to be done is done. It is finished. We get him. We get him. That's that's our treasure. We get the Lord. We get a relationship with God. We get to be with him. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, says this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. See him face to face, without peril. Because he has cleansed us from all unrighteousness and, and clothed us in his righteousness, in his glory. He has made us new that we can behold Him in His glory without fear of being destroyed in a moment. We get Him face to face, nothing between us. There's no need for a temple. He is with us. New heaven, new earth. It says the nations walk in His light in verse 24. And it's it's this idea of Ethnos, these ethnicities that were created by God on earth when he scattered man across the the face of the earth, they will still be represented. There's going to be a beautiful diversity of man. The nations are still going to be there. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, there's still going to be this beautiful diversity joined together in Christ and holiness. And it says that they will come and they will bring into the holy city good things. Well, they're going to live by his light. They're going to live in his way. This city is heaven, but yet he's created an earth that this heaven sits on. So as I'm just thinking about the kings bringing good things in and the gates being open and people coming and going, there's going to be an earth for us to live on. We don't just sit there playing a harp and, and doing nothing. And, you know, this idea that heaven is boring. Oh, you gonna sit on a cloud, play your little harp, and just float there for eternity. That sounds boring. Like, who wants that? that Satan tells you that. He doesn't want you to be excited about a new heaven and new earth. He's not only just bringing down this beautiful city that we can come in and out of that has no darkness there because God dwells there. It's in marvelous, perpetual light. We can come and go in his presence, see him face to face, behold him. We can go out into the new earth, enjoy the new earth and all that it has, all the beauty and glory that he's created. And we can come back into his presence and say, Jesus, look what I've been doing. And he's gonna be like, that's awesome. Have you tried this? And you're going, I'm gonna go do that. You know, like we're gonna have this relationship with him, and it's gonna be worship. It's gonna be like us in the garden back in Genesis. It wasn't just we got the garden, let's sit down and just enjoy it. No, they they had things to do. He gave them beautiful things to do and they were to be fulfilled and have joy in that and they were to marvel in that and when God would come into the garden, they'd be like, look at this, we were tending to this and I didn't know it would grow that big. I didn't know the fruit tasted that good. I and God's like, I got more things in store for you because no eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that he has for us. A new heaven, a new earth, The nations come and go. Nothing unclean, nothing unholy will ever be in this place. So Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also Church, my charge to you is where is your heart today? Is it centered on Christ or on something else? Has your love for Christ grown cold? Do you need to recenter it? May this encourage you to do so. May you have a focus that is laser sharp, that this is my hope, this is my Jesus, this is where I'm going. Yes, this is where he has me now, but this is what I long for. This is where my heart is. That is my treasure. And while he has me here, I'm going to point everybody to that. I'm going to say, don't, don't live for this. Live for the one. Live for him. Live for that. Where is your heart? Will you stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this. And we start by asking you to cleanse our hearts that our eyes would be focused on you, Lord Jesus, that we would love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, that we would put our hope in Christ, that our treasure is Christ. We long for this day of this new heaven and new earth. There's so much there that we don't even, we can't fathom. You haven't even revealed it to us. So we look forward to it, but we know this, We get you, the bridegroom. So we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord, hasten to us. Call us to yourself. We long to be in your presence. But as you tarry, Lord, may we be about the good works you have for us, pointing people to you, pointing people to that beautiful hope that is heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.